0: you want to follow along. We only have three verses today. Um, Doesn't mean it's going to be short, but there's three verses. Verse 12 of chapter 7 is where we're going, uh, hitting a little bit of what uh, we talked about with the kids at first and then getting into these narrow and wide paths and gates. So so far in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we're part 15 now, we've had Jesus contrasting two different things all the time. He contrasts two different types of righteousness, self-righteousness or righteousness that comes from him. Two different treasures, treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. Two different masters, masters that is earthly, masters that are heavenly, and two different ambitions. What is our motive? Is it to praise and follow God and uh, live our lives uh, caring about people because of what is important to him or Doing our own thing and following what we think is the most important. So, now the time for decision has come. Uh, sometimes people have said, "Well, there's nothing clearly gospelly in the Sermon on the Mount." I think it's all over the place in there. If you just read it, we're going to get it now. But first, he shows how our connection with him and to others should work. This verse 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You know, we call this the golden rule. Uh, This comes essentially from Leviticus 19, uh, the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19 also gives us a context to who the neighbor is, especially in the Old Covenant. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this is the idea of loving, caring for, having commitment to other people that are part of your Community of faith is really what the neighbor is. People take the sur- or the excuse me the the parable of the good Samaritan and turn that into that's about what it looks like to be neighborly. That's not really answering the question who is your neighbor. Uh, it's always the idea of who do you have a commitment to. And that's, in an emergency situation, Is pretty much everybody. That's just what the Sermon on the Mount is, or excuse me, the the parable of the Good Samaritan is. So we get this in Matthew 22, summed up, after loving God with all our heart, mind, and strength. So this is kind of summing. He does some summations for us. So Jesus knows that self-advantage guides us. I don't know, I assume you took a shower this morning. Did you do that for you or other people? Both probably, right? Yes, somebody said yes. Yeah, I mean, it's we have to be so careful. It's love your neighbor. What's after that? As yourself, you know. Um, It's just, you know, wisdom is trying to figure out how to do that Uh, because if you don't help yourself, a lot of times you can't help others. I remember doing uh, jail ministry in Fort Madison when I was down in Keokuk, and they the worst person to go out after they got out of jail and help other. Meth addicts was a meth addict, and to get them to understand that was hard. You have to work on yourself first. That happened more than once. I was down there for four years, and you'd go, and somebody we did both women and men, and they'd say, "Okay, I'm getting out," and you try to counsel them to get people around them, and some of them even came to our church, and and then three months later they're back in jail. What happened? Well, I thought I could help. You just, you know, you got to help yourself first. And sometimes we do. So self-advantage is there. We got to be in a good place to do these types of things. Um, But he's simply asked us to use the same criteria for other people. Um, So I think this is one you can just use your imagination. Isn't that fun? You'll even have to close your eyes if you don't want to. But how would I like to be treated in this situation? What would best honor God in this situation? That's it's really not that hard. It's easy, really hard to think of, I think. It's kinda hard to do. Remember those I don't know how long ago that was. They had those W W J D bracelets. Are you still around? Anybody have one? On? No. We can do show and tell. Um that that's good. Um, what would Jesus do? But there are things thing some things that Jesus did that we're not supposed to do. Um you know, Jesus was pretty good. We we had that in our production you know, where he comes in and turns the tables over. I don't think I'd be that good at that. I could do the table turning thing. I don't think I'd be as righteously angry as he was. Angry, sure. Righteous, I don't know. He, he, Jesus handles anger a lot better than you do. Um, Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the world. You don't need to do that, right? So I like this one. It's a little longer, and so the bracelet's a little more cumbersome takes more beads to make, uh, WWJHMD. You like that? Then that kind of just come off your tongue? What would Jesus have me do? That's kind of what we're asking. What What would he have me do in this situation? That's kind of the golden rule. Almost every religious system has something like this, but Jesus is the only one that puts it in a positive sense. They've called that the silver rule. Don't do things to people that you don't want them to do to you. So it's kind of the negative. This is positive. You know, you can do that, right? That's easy. That's kind of just benign. You know, I'm not going to go around, you know, kicking puppies and all that kind of stuff. Well, most of us can refrain from the puppy kicking, right? But it's going to do the things that that's, it's it's looking for places to do that. So that's kind of how he's summing this up. But he gets into the main choice here in 13 and 14, kind of a nice gospel way of looking at it and then coming off of that to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So this is, I always think this is one of the coolest things about Jesus. He's, you know, you can disagree with him if you want, but it's not that hard to figure out what he's saying. This is, you know, being a math major in college and an actuary for quite a few years. This is what I call a binary choice. You, know, you guys want to know what binary is computer science: zeros and ones. There's either you're either a zero or you're a one. That's it. There's no third choice. Then Jesus very much does that here. He does it throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He does it throughout the Gospels, and the apostles that preach afterwards do the same thing. Um, it's a very exclusive religion, in one sense. It's a very inclusive religion in another, and we'll kind of work through that today. So we often want more options. You hear that a lot. I've heard that. People say, well, that's, so you believe Jesus is the only way? Wasn't that kind of constrictive? I'm like, oh, yeah, it is. It all kind of depends on whether it's true or not. Um, or we want no need for a choice. That's out there, too. It's like we just kind of get to heaven by osmosis, you know just kind of skate through life, and God's just like, ah, oh, God's a pretty nice guy. He'll probably let me in. You know, that, that's out there, too. That's really hard to believe that when you read it. I really think most of the heresies in our day and age could be completely alleviated if we just read the Bible, let alone study it, because this isn't really that difficult. So you get two ways, and as, re, as you remember, Jesus was a Jew, and all this is steeped in Old Testament theology. You go back to the very first psalm, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. It's very similar to what he's hes going to take it deeper, and he does that like like he always does with this stuff. So there's an easy way. Um, there's no real bind- boundaries here. It's, it's wide. It's permissive. You can kind of do whatever you want, uh, there's no standard except yourself. And this is very much today, isn't it? You know, I've heard people say, well, that's your truth. And, you know, in some ways that's true. It, it, is, is this a teaching of Jesus that's just subjective? Is it like ice cream? You know, how many here like rhubarb ice cream? Seeing none, which makes sense. Um you know, you might like chocolate, I might like vanilla. Well, that's subjective. That's a taste thing. Is that what Jesus is talking about? You know, if you like the flavor of me, follow me. But if you don't, that's okay. Or is this objective? You know, like insulin. You know, you can, you can take, you know, sugar pops for your, to get rid of the diabetes problem or you can take insulin. And you can say, well, you know, just do whatever you want. How's that going to work out for you? You know, this, Jesus is just very objective you see and if you read uh, C.S. Lewis in his Surprise by Joy which is his kind of he came to faith kind of late in life but it's kind of his coming to faith book but back when he was 13 he said he, he started getting this idea of higher thought he said i was soon altering i believe to one must feel and on the relief of it from the tyrannous noon of revelation i pass into the cool evening twilight of higher thought where there was nothing to be obeyed nothing to believed except what was either comforting or exciting. If I ask you the question, what do you go to the Bible for? What would you say? Would that depend on kind of where you are in your life, maybe a little bit? But I hear people say, well, I go for comfort. Well, I go for comfort too. But sometimes comfort's not what we need. Sometimes we need a kick in the pants. And the Bible will give that to you. You should go to the Bible to encounter God and then let him kind of tell you what you need. So as we look at this, this is the easy way. There's no effort needed to cultivate this. I think in my life, you know, superficiality, self-love, hypocrisy, mechanical religion, false ambition, being overcritical, these come naturally and easily. Looking out for number one is what this is, right? That's out in our society. I agree. I think the Bible teaches that we're supposed to look out for number one. It's just who's number one. That's the problem. We make ourselves number one. And it's so easy to do. You know, I know none of you guys do that. It's self-centeredness comes real easy. I think guys are worse than that than women. Yeah, and that is kind of a way to get on the good side of the women. But <laughs> I think it is a little bit that way. I mean, I, it seems like it, it has been in my life that way. It seems overall that that ha- happens that way. But, you know, women, you can, you can probably get that way too sometimes. But it, it's so easy. I, I don't have to take a class on how to be self-centered. I'm good at that. <laughs> and if you want to find yourself, it's not that hard. People in this world trying to find themselves, you know, wherever I go, there I am. It's really not that hard. You don't, don't try to find yourself. Try to find the one who created you. That probably makes more sense. And then you can find out what you're here for and maybe why you were created and Things will go on from there. So that's the easy way. That's why it's called easy. You don't have to do anything. It comes natural. The hard way, it's narrow. It's marked with clear boundaries. And what's that clear boundary? Well, Jesus himself and the divine revelation of Scripture, what has been revealed to be true and good. Now, this is different, isn't it? You know, people think about, when you think of the word religion, that's become a bad word now. It's almost a four-letter word. Because we define religion as oppressive overbearing, but religion at its core is just following a deity, is really all <laughs> religion is. It's kind of what deity are you following? You know, the revealed truth imposes a limitation on what we're supposed to believe. Is it okay to believe whatever you want? It's kind of a trick question, isn't it? Depends on what you're doing it for, right? Are you trying to find truth or are you trying to make yourself feel good? You know what's really cool if you can get both of those in one scoop? <laughs> that you find the truth and it also feels good? So we do have a limitation. You know, in our church and many churches in this town and other towns, it's what stands written. That's kind of the e free moniker. You want to believe this? Well, what stands r- what's written in the scriptures? And that's what we go with. And I'm not sure I always like it. We had that earlier. I'm not a big fan of love your enemy. I think that's kind of over the top a little bit. But or it didn't, it didn't. Jesus didn't say, if you feel like it, love your enemy. Or if, you, if you're having a good day, do good to those who persecute you. It's, it's a commandment, uh, just like most of these things are. So it imposes on what we believe, and then the revealed goodness, the morality is in here, imposes limitation on how we behave. You know, that's, that's what's here, and that's what people don't like. Don't tell me what to do. That's uh, what people really, really like. And we want to be free, right? We're E-free. It's nice to be free. We can do whatever we want, right? Can you do whatever you want? Kind of, can't you? So why don't we do everything we want? Kind of depends on what we want, doesn't it? Who are we trying to serve? That's what this comes back. The behavior is going to come from what we believe and who's in us, and that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. So it can be hard. And I don't want you to leave here and say, oh, this sounds fun. I can either have fun and worry about myself or do all this boring stuff. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, Matthew 11 is kind of in the background here. Uh, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son has choose to reveal himself. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the most important thing you can do in life is find rest for your souls. And Jesus says, I'm the one that can do that. Are there other people that can do it? Jesus says, no, not really. Maybe for a little while, but no. And then this is cool because we have this hard way. uh, Now he says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, why? I'm going to let this sit there. We can maybe talk about it in a Bible study. But do you think it was hard for Jesus to follow the Father's rules? It's an interesting question, isn't it? It's hard for us sometimes, but we're supposed to be in the yoke, right? The problem with bad religion is we give people rules and don't give them ways to follow them, the ability to follow them. And this is how you do it. You're able to do it because you're in relationship with Jesus. That's what so it's hard, but a lot of times anything worthwhile is hard. But is it, still, is it worth it? That's the main thing. So now we've got two gates. We've got the gate leading to the easy way is wide, so you can find it really easy. No limit to the luggage that you can take with you. Leaving nothing behind, not your sins, not your self-righteousness, or your pride, and he's coming, you know, God loves you the way you are. You think that's true? God loves you the way you are? I think so. God does love you the way you are. But I think he loves you enough to think that the way you are probably isn't perfect, and we can work on that, right? The gate leading to the hard way, it's narrow. One must luck to find it, you know. If you seek, you will find In order to enter, you must leave everything behind. That's hard. It's almost like you're going through, you know, going to the airport and got to take your shoes off. When I was young, we didn't have to take our shoes off. I don't know. It changed, hasn't it? You can't take anything with you. Matthew 16, for Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it and this is you may know this if you haven't get this one in your head it's a very good scripture to remember for what what does it profit a person if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what shall a man give in return for his soul for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done if you want to read the end of Revelation 20 you can see how that works the whole idea is getting your name in the book of life. That's the main thing you want to do. But think about that. What, does it, what difference does it make if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Um, that's the whole idea Is what Jesus came for. It's the whole idea that we're, why we're here. And if you, again, to quote C.S. Lewis, if you, if you live in this life and you get that feeling that this life doesn't have everything I need to satisfy my soul, it may be that you were made for another world. But don't be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good either. We've got all these other things we can do and help people. So how can we find this gate? Because if this is a narrow gate, it's hard to find. How do we find it? Well, sometimes we forget this. We go through like Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, and we forget that all this kind of happened together. And I don't know. It's very possible that Jesus met with Nicodemus and talked with the people Uh, At that time, the same time, maybe two days after he gave the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know. But he gives that. in there. truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Because this is what this is all about, God's kingdom. Something has to happen to us that is a gift. It's called grace. It's it's called the, the, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That's why if we seek, we'll find. And our eyes are opened and we say, hey, this makes sense. The change falls in the meter. We don't want to kill Jesus anymore. (laughs) We We want to love him. And then think about this. You know, what does he say? Enter by the narrow gate. And then in John 10, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. That's a pretty good that that makes this gate make a lot more sense. There's one gate. You know, being free is wonderful. Think about it. You think about yourself in the middle of a desert. You can close your eyes; it helps, as long as you don't fall off the stage. In the middle of a desert, what are you seeing? Lots of sand. You're thirsty. I'm smelling spaghetti for some reason. Now you're thirsty. Get back in the desert. Um, are you free? Can you go any way you want? Aren't you completely free? You can go any you want. Isn't that wonderful? You know, true freedom is a sign that says this way to water. That's the key here. Freedom is great, but if you don't know, there's nothing life-giving about it if there's no place to go, purpose, all those types of things. I am the gate. You know, he keeps making all these metaphors. So, so two gates, two destinations. We get this in Deuteronomy at the very end of Moses' life. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Life was through the, the law of, of God that showed his character. And death was through going against Yahweh and the character of the pagan gods that they were not supposed to follow. So the easy way leads to destruction. The hard way leads to life. And you get this again through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's pretty clear. And again, how does that make us feel? Does that make us feel constricted or does it make us feel blessed? It kind of depends where our heart is. And then there's two crowds. There's entering the wide gate on the easy way and I'll have to admit this is not a scripture I like. Um, I don't think God cares whether I like it, but (laughs) it's not a scripture I like. He didn't ask any of us whether we, it, it, this wasn't by voting, right? Jesus didn't take up a vote before he preached. Uh, he just preached what was true. It says that the easy way, the way to destruction, there are many. And the narrow gate on the hard way to life, there are few. Now, I was a math major in college, and I, I've tried this very really hard. I probably spent 50, 60 hours on this verse to try to interpret it away. You, you look at this and you're like, hmm, many and few. Can I think of any scenario where the second one is more people than the first one? Like if I said to you, I have a, a bunch of money up here in my pocket, which I don't, but let's go with that. And, you know, you two, I'll give you many and I'll give you few. You can choose which one do you want. Well, I'm going to take the many, right? It's always more than a few, so these these words you can't get away from. Um, they're kind of hard, aren't they? I mean, what are they trying to teach here? Does this mean that the final number of God's redeemed is going to be small? Well, I don't think that's true, and we get that fairly clearly in Revelation. And therefore, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, for every from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. The white robe is the, the metaphor in Revelation for being a b- true believer and saved in eternal life. So there's going to be a bunch uh, of that. But I think if we, we look at it, Luke 13 kind of helps us out. You can turn there if you want. Luke 13:23. 23. Um, Sometimes if you have a question in the Bible, then some other guy asks it. Or a woman, it's always nice. This is exactly what happens. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And you know Jesus is not going to answer this with a yes or no, is he? he? doesn't do that very often. He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able." When once the master of the house has risen and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and taught in your streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and you will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the peoples in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are the last who will be first and some are first who will be last. So that is not a yes or no answer, is it? But he, notice what he's doing. The question is about will there will be few. The answer is like, are you sure you're part of that view? So I don't like doing this, and if you know me well, you know I don't like doing this. I'm not really sure <laughs> on this one. Um, it does seem in the history of Christendom that those who are true believers are in the minority. Uh, but what's, what's, the, what's the answer here? It's the same thing. My, hopefully you're hearing that from me because you're hearing it from Jesus. Just make sure you're in the few. Maybe it's 4951, I don't know. Uh, I'll let God take care of that. How that all works. Because it's not just a coin flip, right? It's not, you have to know, it's not, the gospel's not hard, folks. Enter by the narrow gate. He is the only way. If you want to be assured of salvation, just take Jesus by the hand and let him show you. I mean, that's kind of what this is all about. So when you look at this, according to Jesus, as we kind of sum this up, there's only two ways There's a hard way and there's an easy way. There's no middle way. Notice he doesn't, there's no third choice. Enter by two gates, a narrow one and a wide one. There's no third gate. There's two groups. There's the few and the many. There's no neutral group. And there's two destinations, life and destruction. There's no third alternative. And whether I like that or not is kind of irrelevant. It's what, is this what Jesus taught? That's really what it comes down to. As some of my luck around here have been believers a lot of their lives. Some of you I don't know that well, but maybe you have been. Maybe you're new. Maybe you're seeking. But again, the gospel is the easiest hard thing you're ever follow. It's not that hard to understand. We, Aaron kind of mentioned one of those aspects. but we use those three G's. You know, just remember those. They're so good. If you want to sum up the gospel and really quick, they're not hard to remember. It starts with guilt. It's realizing I've got a problem. It's realizing that I'm spiritually lost. And that does come, again, back to John 3, that does come from some sort of spiritual awakening. And how that works, I think we'll argue about that until we get there. Uh, Different ways to look at that, but something happens. I look at it, seek. You know, that's what he tells us to do, how that all happens and the calculus of all that in the background. I don't know, but something happens to a soul where you look. Do you know you're guilty? That is the best thing when you find out you're guilty. It's kind of like if you use a metaphor of of an illness. If someone has cancer that's going to kill them without treatment, it's going to kill them whether they know it or not. Would it be loving or unloving to tell them that there's a treatment for this? Wouldn't that be loving? So why is it unloving if we believe that all people are guilty and fall short of the glory of God and will not enter into life with him without having something changed? Why is that unloving to tell someone? You can say it in an unloving way. I mean, I don't think you should start conversations with, you're going to hell. What are they probably going to say to you? Uh, probably something similar. <laughs> and then a Hawaiian wave, and then we take off, right? Yeah, yeah. you got to be careful with this stuff. I mean, Jesus didn't do that. The only time he got into people's face were the hypocrites, the people that thought they had it figured out. The people who were really down, he accepted. Remember way back in chapter 5, 14 sermons ago? <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember what we talked about there? you realize that you're poor in spirit, that by your own devices you do not have the ability and you do not have the privilege of calling God Father or being in in presence with him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, blessed are those who mourn. That's more about mourning your sin than anything else. And the Beatitudes kind of pick us through. So the first thing is guilt. And it sounds bad, doesn't it? But I don't know if you've ever done that. You can do this on airplanes. It's kind of fun. Uh, It's a little easier for me because they ask me what I do, and then you get into the conversation, and it either goes, you fill the whole time, or you never talk to them again. Uh, Last time I went on a plane, it filled the whole time. It was kind of cool. But you know when you talk to somebody, or even your own life, when you bring that up, if you say to somebody, it's not a believer, that They say, well, you know, I don't need all that stuff. And if you ask this one question, you can get it. What do you do with the guilt? And I'll have to give credit. That was R.C. Sproul that I got that from. Um, What do you do with the guilt? He used this all the time. And you usually get one of two answers. They'll look at you like you're an idiot, which I'm kind of getting used to. Or they'll say, how did you know? Because something's happened. But Jesus doesn't leave us with the guilt, you know? I mean, you walked in here, we still have our cross up. I mean, the guilt is what shows us the status we are before a holy God. But grace is the next one. That's your next G. That's the main one. But you're not going to look for grace if you don't know you're guilty. And you can't guilt somebody into believing this. It's something in with the spirit changing their heart. We give the information. It's up to God to change them. So guilt and grace, and that's what he's taught. Enter by the narrow gate. Realize that you need him. It's hard, but this is, it's, again, it's the easiest thing to understand, and those of you who are believers know that. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard whether you believe or not. And sometimes maybe it's constrictive for people, but, boy, the benefits are out of this world. The grace. Are you accepting the pardon Is your heart changed? And then back to verse 12 and others, then you live a life of gratitude. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Just don't get those mixed up. John Calvin, great reformer, somebody asked him, how do I know that I'm saved? And I love his answer, and you take it for what it's worth. Do you feel guilty when you sin? Because the Spirit convicts us of our guilt. And What are you supposed to do when you sin? You, know? you confess. You, you say, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. You go try to rec- try to reconcile either with God or the people or both. that's the spirit saying, "You know we can do better than that. You were saved by grace, act like it, you know into the yoke again so think about that that's and that's always taught as far as where is the grace come from. It's always the same place. you know no, they never taught that you can get it from other places. If you go back into John ten, you get teachings where they try to get around the gate in different ways the thieves and the robbers it's like you can't you got to go through him you've got to get through Jesus I think we did that in Easter last year uh, you know you want to put all your eggs in the Jesus basket you know if Jesus is wrong I'm really in trouble and <laughs> so are most of you I don't think he's wrong I think I know that from the word but I think then there's something else there's that subjective witness of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of hard to explain, isn't it? Sounds kind of cocky sometimes, doesn't it? As if I f- you know, we float around the world or something because we've got this. Sp- I don't know how it works, but if somebody asks me how I believe, some of us, because well, I just know. Sometimes that's all you need. I just know. But you also have the evidence of the Scripture. It kind of lines up. Who was the author of all this, do we believe? Well, if the Holy Spirit wrote it through the pens of men. should kind of line up with the same Holy Spirit that's convicting you in your own heart. So I think that's good to think about. And they always preach this. And there's salvation in no one else. This is Peter in the temple after Pentecost. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Again, over and over again. And again, if, if it makes you feel cocky, you're not reading this right. You know, we're saved by grace. And we don't want to get that gratitude up above the obedient part. That's where we get in trouble, where we think it's the gratitude, it's the following of the rules that makes us saved. No, gratitude's at the end. Gratitude is a response to the grace. It doesn't, isn't the cause of the grace, right? Guilt is the cause of the grace. (laughs) Got that? Guilt, grace, gratitude. If I was Baptist, I'd have you say that out loud, but I'm not. Just think that. It's such a good way of doing it. And to kind of s- sum up here, again, I don't know if any of you read or saw, the. They, they mo- most of the movies have been made too. Chronicles of Narnia, anybody read those? They've been around a while. C.S. Lewis again. Um, there's, I can't even remember which, uh, it might be the silver chair, but I can't remember which one this is, but there's, the, the girl comes and Aslan the Lion is standing there, and he's a big imposing lion. And she's very thirsty. She's kind of in the middle of the desert. And she sees the stream. And she knows she needs water. But this huge honking lion's in the way. And she doesn't really know. Aslan is kind of the Christ character in these. And she kind of gets close. And the lion says, come, child, and drink. You know, kind of a really cool way of saying it. And she said, and I love this, the way they do it in, Engl- in the British English, I daren't come and drink. I never used daren't, but it's kind of cool. I daren't come and drink. And she says, why, child, why don't you come and drink? And, and she doesn't say, but she's scared. <laughs> you know, it looks like kind of a hard way to get to the, get to the stream. And she says, you know, I think I I'll go look for another stream. And Aslan says, there is no other stream. That's kind of what this is summing up. There is no other stream, And you can read the rest of that, but you can probably figure out what happens when she goes up to the line. He's He's not scary. He's not safe in the way we want him to be safe. But he gives you exactly what you need, and that's what this is all about. Yeah, the way may be hard, the gate may be narrow. But the destination is everything we're looking for. So again, back to what I, the test is multiple choice. It's the most important test you'll ever take. Yes, Jesus, or no Jesus, he doesn't give a third option he never intended to. Let us pray. Father, as we look into this pointed teaching of your son. We know it's very easy to understand, sometimes hard to incorporate into the way we live our lives. May we each, each one of us today, no matter where we are, if we've gone through the guilt, understood the grace, grabbed onto you and are trying to live a life of gratitude, give us the power to do that and the power to tell others. If we haven't accepted the grace but know we're guilty, may we want to do that also. And maybe if we're just seeking and not understanding, may the words today and the power of your spirit touch their hearts so they look to your son always.